worship at First Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that, when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, How much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, we all love a good plot twist, right? They're so entertaining, usually. Jesus, though, has a way of shocking his listeners with his storytelling. Not for entertainment, but as his primary teaching method. And so, in our gospel lesson for today, we hear a story unfold that ends unexpectedly. So this parable, at the beginning of Luke chapter 16, sets up a conflict between a manager and his rich boss. The manager, either because he is lazy or incompetent or both, has squandered his master's estate. And word is starting to get back to the boss. So the manager knows his employment will be ending soon. He knows he needs to be thinking about his future security and how he might provide for himself. 
He knows that he's too weak to dig and too ashamed to beg. So he makes some choices and takes some actions, and we know this story is not going to end well for him. Because the manager uses the last hours of his position in his master's household to go and strike unauthorized deals with his master's debtors. Then he figures, when he's out on the streets and down on his luck, he'll have some friendly faces out there to take him in. So he went to all the people who owed his master something, and he just erased part of their debt, up to half of it. So obviously he is defrauding his master for his own personal benefit, and you know the master is going to find out about this. Then what? Is the boss going to make the manager work off the amount of debt that he illicitly forgave? Is he going to have the manager thrown in jail? Or worse? No. When the master found out that he was being fleeced by a dishonest man, he commended him. He probably clapped a hand on his shoulder and said, great strategy. You were really using your head there. Very shrewd. So that's the worst plot twist I've heard in a long time. And Jesus didn't just create a surprise ending for us, but twisted all logic, and I think made this parable extremely difficult for us to interpret for our own lives. Honestly, after I read this through a couple of times, I was thinking, is this a parable or a joke? Is this for real in the Bible? This has to be one of the most frustrating parables that Jesus tells. Because I don't actually understand what Jesus is trying to illustrate with this story. I can't really comprehend his instruction to his listeners at the end of it. Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth. If I had to come up with a list of historical characters likely to have commanded that, Jesus would not be in the top ten. Not even top 50. Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. So let's all just be okay with not completely getting it this week. It may be that the significance of this parable made perfect sense to Jesus' first hearers, but maybe the intervening millennia have left the nuance and the meaning opaque to us. And if figuring out the historical significance takes that much digging, I just wonder if you all really want to listen to a sermon that's more of a thesis on economics, debt, and lending in the ancient world. So let's be in agreement that we don't have to figure out some one-to-one allegory and wrestle the characters in the parable into representations of God and Jesus and ourselves and the world. And we don't need to explain this parable. And in fact, parables are not usually intended to be explained anyway. They're intended to be experienced. So instead of trying to explain, why don't we go for experience on this one? Why don't we pay attention to where the scandal is and how we feel when we hear this story and why that might be? What in our lives and in our socioeconomic positions and our posture toward money makes this story uncomfortable and challenging. What, if anything, 
in our lives makes this story comforting? What causes us to reconsider or view something from a different angle? So I encourage you to take your bulletin home with you today. Read this parable again when you can create some space to really contemplate. I think it's well worth sitting with those questions for a while. And especially because things like wealth and debt forgiveness can become such emotionally charged topics in any discussion or in any sermon. So it's worth letting the Holy Spirit move in our hearts and minds as we reflect on these strange words of Jesus. There's an anchor at the end of this passage. No matter how lost on us the significance of that story is, Jesus concludes this teaching with a truth that grounds it in timelessness. That means we don't actually have to have a firm grasp of the economic intricacies of first century Palestine to be confronted with the truth that Jesus conveys here in verse 13 when he says, No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. When Jesus says you cannot serve both God and wealth, he means you cannot be the servant, or the slave really is the word, of both. You cannot be bound to both things. You can't bind yourself to both God and to wealth. It's one or the other. And now we only wish that that was more convoluted and difficult to discern. And instead, it's incredibly and uncomfortably clear there's no getting around it, there's no pretending that we can't understand. Jesus has a real challenge for us here. Perhaps because of the culture and society that we find ourselves in, where it seems like money does carry an outsized amount of power in our world, Perhaps Americans do worship money to a certain extent. But if we're serving God, there's no room for any of that. We can't worship both God and money. So when a number on a piece of paper or on a computer screen called a bank balance can dictate to us which people are more important than others, we're making the wrong choice. Or when the most important consideration or one of the most important considerations in a big decision is the bottom line, then we're making the wrong choice. Or when values and convictions can be swayed a little bit if the price is right, we're making the wrong choice. Money itself is not bad or evil, but when we start to give it that much power over us, We are turning away from God. In Jesus' parable, the manager was about to lose his job, and so he looked around himself and took stock of anything he could use to leverage uh, for his well-being. And he had access to his master's accounting, so he used it. It was a resource at his disposal. And then, what if... What if the master wasn't mad, as I certainly anticipated? What if he could shake off the dishonesty of his manager because his money was something he had and something he used, but it wasn't his identity. It wasn't his ultimate security. 
So when he saw his manager using his accounts shrewdly, he could just say, well played. But I bet the manager still lost his job. When Jesus warns us that we cannot serve both God and wealth, I don't think he's saying that one is good and one is evil. He's saying that only one of those things is worthy of power and honor and glory and might. And it's not the almighty dollar. You cannot serve God and wealth, but that's okay. Because only one is ultimate and eternal. Only one is about mission and salvation. Only one actually calls us to be servants. Money, on the other hand, is supposed to serve us. For people of faith who live every day in a secular world, this is easy to hear but hard to internalize. But here it is. Money is not meant to be a goal. It's a resource to help us reach our goals. Our goals, as followers of Jesus, have more to do with living faithfully according to the teachings of Jesus and the calling of God in our lives. Our goal is to spread good news in the world through our words and actions and multiply the love and grace we first received from God as pure gift. And money is a tool to help us do that. Money doesn't do the ministry, but it provides us with a dedicated space for equipping people for mission. It provides staff who have been trained and educated. It provides Bibles and resources for learning and growth. It provides food and gas assistance. It supports local social services so that we can all work together and participate in carrying out Jesus' command to care for those who aren't clothed or fed or free. So please hear today that money isn't the problem. Our attitude toward money and how much power we give it over ourselves, that can become a problem. When we look to money for our identity or our security, or when we value money over the people who help us make it, or when we set aside Jesus' clear teachings for the sake of accumulating money, then we have a problem because we know we cannot serve two masters. And when we try to do that, we set up for ourselves a shiny idol, shattering the first commandment. And we chase empty promises. And we have completely missed what is of true weight and worth in the lives that God has given us. Jesus' teaching today is a lesson on just keeping money in its proper place which is at best a distant second to God's presence and provision and calling in our lives. So whether you have money or not, whether it's a lot or a little, use it well and use it wisely. Money is part of how God provides for us. It is a gift that helps us express our values in the world. It helps us put our faith into action It makes our personal convictions meaningful for our neighbors. So use your money along with every gift and ability that you've been given. And along with all of your heart and soul and strength and mind to love and serve God and God alone. For God is eternal truth and unending goodness and love for you and for all. Amen.